Welcome to the Dayaway Podcast, where we invite expert speakers to share their wisdom, offering practical advice, helpful insights, and fresh perspectives from a biblical point of view. As a non-denominational and non-profit organization, we welcome women from all backgrounds and beliefs to join us on this journey of personal growth. Episode 7 Anandihana Munir is an Ukrainian-born psychologist and motivational speaker based in Switzerland. She is also the founder of the Centre for Emotional Health in Lucerne and worked with the International Committee of the Red Cross in Geneva. Here's Anna on the topic, Maintaining Vitality Under Pressure. Real, I'm very, very honoured to be here and to speak to this amazing group of women. As it's been said, it's quite special because it's a Saturday morning, it's early morning, and you are here. So I feel privileged and quite responsible (laughs) to bring you this morning some value and to share out of the depth uh, of my heart, first of all, and my knowledge. And I do hope that um, this inspiration that I declare to bring, because I do believe that I, I, I am an inspirational person, I like to inspire people to live to their best, that you will take further. So, just a few words about me uh, as we start, and also not just about me, but uh, why, why me today on this stage, why this topic today for me? So, what is my why behind the topic of how to maintain vitality and how to take care of our life in a holistic way. So I'm Ukrainian by origin. I've been living in Switzerland almost nine years now. Uh, Love brought me to Switzerland. So I have uh, married a wonderful man and we have a child of four years old. And uh, my journey into motherhood started with my uh, little boy being born with one kidney. Uh, but we, we knew that something, we had a problem during the pregnancy and they said, you know, you have a kidney that works, fully healthy kidney uh, of your child. And then there is a kidney that is dilated and we'll probably have to operate on the kidney, but don't worry, it happens to many babies, male especially. And so we were prepared for this, but then my boy is born and they say, you know, actually the kidney that's supposed to be healthy and the kidney that we've seen during uh, echography is not there. So your child has only one kidney. And that was, of course, a shock, a bad surprise. So since Jean was born, on the second day of his life, he had a surgery already. And since he was born during two years, he went through eight surgeries. So that was rough, I have to say. But he's an amazing little boy and he's doing well now. That's important to say fully fine enjoying his life, an amazing boy, an amazing miracle and a gift. But this is just to say that I think if you're a mom, uh, you know that life changes drastically when you become a mother. Uh, But I think this entrance into motherhood was so unexpectedly difficult for me that I knew that if I want to continue and be my best self to my boy and to my husband, I need to take care of myself. There is no way around it. 
But what, where I struggled is that, well, he needs me, right? So why would I, what, why would I even think of myself? My, my boy needs, needs me. And I remember a clear, very vivid memory as I was sitting outside of the hospital in the cafeteria, drinking my coffee and trying to just pull myself together after yet another surgery. And I'm thinking, wow, that probably from outside looks almost awkward. Like here's this young mom who enjoys her coffee while her boy is, he's been, um, he's been taken care of a lot by nurses, of course. And, uh, and you know, at that moment I realized that I'm doing such an important thing because I'm refilling my cup of energy, of strength, of grounding myself so I can be back to him in a better shape. So that was my, uh, one of my experiences. Uh, I could say I went into maternity burnout, as we now call it, even in psychology, a bit more official. But, you know, we all know what hardship is, I'm sure. We know, some of us know what tragedy is, all of us been through challenges and we know that it's inevitable part of life. What do we do with this? And how do we still maintain our life, not just to keep living, but actually thriving and flourishing and be there for those whom we love? So a bit more of my story and another burnout experience that was inevitable and very recent. I'm Ukrainian, as I said, and Ukraine goes through a war. And it soon, unfortunately, looks like going to be two years since the war started in Ukraine. And it's an enormous trauma of being far away from your homeland, being in a full safety and still experiencing the war mentally. So when we uh, me and my husband, we found out about the war. The priority was to move out my mom, uh, who was at that point 83 years old, and my sister and her two adopted girls from Ukraine. That's the only part of my family that was still there. And then, as that was done, many friends were coming, so we ended up having 20 friends that came just, just because they, they wrote, they called, they, they knew me. And uh, in an amazing way, divine ways, doors were opened for them here in Switzerland. But then we've created organization because people were calling me. They had this profile of Ukrainian and psychologist, so the person could speak the language of the people and person knows what is trauma, which the person, me, was going through her own trauma. And we were just overwhelmed with the demand. And we said, we need to gather people in groups and we'll create something as support, uh, uh, groups for psychological support and relief, you know, where people can talk about uh, their emotions and their shock and their pain. But I'm not going to go into this story. It's just to say that very quickly, very quickly in a few months, it was last autumn, I found myself one morning while I was getting very tired, obviously, and very exhausted dealing with all of that. That was probably heavier even than the story with my son because it was much more global in a way, of course. Uh, and then I woke up one morning and I could not get out of my bed. Like the, the level of exhaustion was so high that I barely could walk to my shower to take a shower. And at that moment I realized that this what my clients were sitting across from me in my cabinet and were explaining this feeling to me. And I knew that in theory before. They were telling me, you know, I am in complete 
exhaustion, I'm depleted, I, I'm burnout, and this is how I feel, I cannot put my socks on, or I cannot get off the bed, and I, I was feeling the same. And I told myself, something has to change, uh, something really has to change, I cannot go on like this. And even though I was supposedly <laughs> taking good care of myself, I was doing my, I was uh, doing my therapy, my mentorship, I was getting a lot of support, a lot of prayer. And me and my husband were very intentional to get all the help needed. I still went too far with running the organization and with giving it all. So what left of me? What was left of me to give to my son, to my husband? Well, on that morning, not much. And I've struggled, and I had to go to a doctor, and the doctor said, you know, your blood test is perfect. There is nothing in your body that is a disease. You know, there are no signs of me being ill. But he said, it's when your mind, both your body, your mind, your brain, it just your being shuts down and says, enough, enough. So when we go too far for too long with whatever we are doing, we may end up in the situation like that. And that's what I, my why today is that I don't want you to, to end up in the situation like that. Maybe you've already been there. And maybe not to put any too much of a, of a, you know, of a high responsibility. Maybe even you will end up in, in the situation and the lesson will be learned the hard way. But all we can do today is to try to learn of how to prevent it. So this is my why, this is a bit of my story, why am I here, why am I passionately talking about this topic. So, as I said before, we all know what is stress, right? I think it's an inevitable part of life that we all are very familiar with, and I'm giving you just this official, you know, proper, uh, definition of stress by World Health Organization. Just for us to, as a reminder, I didn't want to go into depth with it because it's not needed, but stress is an inevitable part of life. Where I want to emphasize, and I didn't put it on the slides again because it's not really our topic, but we know that there are two kinds of stress, right? And the way we are wired and created in our nervous system works in such a way that stress can be very positive force. Stress is something that drives us to achieve, achieve things. Does it bring me a bit of stress today? Well, of course, even though if I'm at ease, even though I'm, I might call myself already for a few years a speaker, I still have a bit of stress. But this a positive stress that gives me energy, that gives me all this vibe to speak to you, the same is with your uh, work project if you are excited about the project. The same is when you are waiting for someone you haven't seen for a long time. This is all a stressor in your life, but this is a positive stress. That's when your nervous system reacts in a positive way and gives you a boost. But what happens when the stress, even positive or let's say a neutral or a negative one, a traumatic, event that lasts for a long time, what happens with us? We can endure, we can be, uh, you know, uh, resilient to it for a while, but we cannot go through a stressful situation for too long. We will just 
basically will shut down. So stress is something we know what it is. Stress activates us, but stress, simply put, cannot be lived for too long because we will go into burnout. And here again, this is, uh, I did it on purpose. I give you again a very um, formal definition of burnout. Because uh, I teach on burnout as a whole topic, and that's a topic worth unpacking. Because burnout, so far, been associated only with a professional role or professional life. Uh, we talk about burnout uh, when we talk about someone who's been in their professional role for too long, and they're now feeling unappreciated, or they're tired of their professional role. But now, now in these days, we're looking uh, at burnout much broader. So basically, what is burnout? When we feel burnout, when we feel at our end, it's when the reward that we get from our career or life, well, we still put career in the first place, but life, life roles, activities, such as my volunteer activity as these groups for refugees from Ukraine, you know, it was a great mission. It was not something I was tired of, basically, as a, as a thing, but I went into burnout. Isn't enough to offset all the effort we put into it. So I'll read it again, and please dwell on it a little bit. So the reward that we get from our career or life isn't enough to offset all the effort that we put into it. Basically, when we talk about burnout as something that we do in a profession that doesn't bring us a reward or enough appreciation, that's one part of it. But we know doctors. And now we, we, I've read this amazing article of a doctor who, who's been a surger, uh, surgeon all his life, and he said, you know, when I was suddenly diagnosed with, with this strange and rare disease, and they told me I have five years to live, suddenly everything narrowed down to my life to my values, to my family, to everything I wanted to do and was postponing. But what's amazing also that I've been enjoying my work. I've been saving lives. I never missed feeling appreciated. The reward was there. But basically, I think there in that article and in general as we start to study burnout now, we see that if you, I can just, put it like that, if you do something for too long, <laughs> too much, yeah, and for too long, you will go into burnout. If somebody is in a helping role and enjoys this role, or in a life role, like being a mother, again, back to motherhood, but if, there is, if it is too much without the support and without resourcing yourself, you will go into burnout. It's inevitable, whether we want to face it or not. And that's another, <laughs> another question to us. Do we realize that we have limits? And we have been created like this. We do have limits. We are not gods. <laughs> and that's good. It's humbling experience to say, you know, I can go only that far. And after, I need to stop. And we all know these examples from the airplane, right? Which example I'm talking about? Let's have a bit of dialogue. Somebody shows like this. We know, and it's been overused maybe, but they say, please first, as must drop out, put 
the mask on your child, on yourself, sorry. <laughs> That's exactly, <laughs> exactly the opposite. On yourself and then on your child. That's everything. Here's everything about motherhood, yeah? Who has to take care of who in the first place and so on. And you cannot pour from an empty cup. We all know these phrases. And uh, for me as a psychologist, you know, I heard the phrase as I was starting into uh, this profession that we may know better, but we don't always do better. <laughs> so we do know a lot of things. And I hope I am preaching uh, and I'm walking my own talk, you know, and I'm preaching out of what I do. And that's why, um, again, I am here today is because when, when I heard the, the, the topic that, you know, could be brought up that, that really spoke to me. So the question actually today is not just to be overweighted by this, you know, how to say, by this pressure of we all can then end up in burnout, you know, we, we all know what stress is, look at our world, what's happening now. It, it, there is so much pain and so much suffering. How do we preserve our resource? Not because we want to preserve ourselves, you know, and my little life, and, I'm, and by doing that I'm selfish. No, because we want to serve this world. We want to stay in this world in our best shape. So where, as I said before, we take strength and where actually we cannot just survive through these times, but maybe even thrive in them? Well, one answer that I would give to you, and I almost can already know your reaction, is that you need to take care of yourself. But I think there is a problem. When you hear a term self-care, does it sound selfish? Be honest. Yes, I, I see a little nod, very <laughs> modest, but they are there. You know, I remember as I was preparing one of my talks on this topic, and, I, and I'm walking around my husband, you know, and he's in his chair trying to rich paper or whatever, and I'm, I'm all, you know, I'm all wired with preparing. Uh, very first we did a brunch with ladies also in Lausanne and uh, about this topic, and I said, what do you think about self-care as you hear just the term? He said, but it's selfish. And I was like, wow, here's a man, you know, tells me very honestly what the first association he has with the term. And when I did, I'm quite active on social media, I did the polls, you know, on Instagram, you can ask questions. And I, I've received an amazing response, like people, the audience were so active. And everybody told me, well, everybody maybe an ex exaggeration, but most people told me, yes, there is, a, there is a discomfort with this. As someone wrote, there's too much self when I hear self-care. Self-care, I think, became such a buzzword. You know, it's a word that overused, that we think wants to promote something to us. You need to take care of yourself, so you need to take care of your sleep, and to take care of your sleep, buy our sleeping mask. Because without our sleeping mask, you will not be able to get a good sleep. Isn't it true we have this feeling that it's something 
as a luxury, it's something as a super expensive wellness procedure. And here's what I want to talk about in our first part as we discuss this, what we've got wrong about self-care. What, what we, we don't realize, but we take it in maybe because we have too much of, um, of this you know, marketing side also around self-care. But first of all, let's start with self-care being selfish. Is it really? Was it in a selfish act of me sitting in the room of cafeteria and having my coffee and having my quiet time when my little boy was in the hospital? Was it selfish or was it wise? You know, one quote that I want to share with you today and that I really want you to take with you and you can you know, read more uh, from the same author. When I discovered this quote, for me it was providential literally because I, I said this is what gives me the answer because it's hard to, to, to battle <laughs> the opposition of someone saying yeah, it's selfish, you know, there's too much about you, about self in this term and maybe we can find some replacement, recharging yourself, refueling yourself, resting, but why self-care is not selfish? Listen to this. Self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have. The gift I was put on earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to true self and give the care it requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. Self-care will be not selfish if it's understood right and lived right. But to get to the core of self-care not being selfish, we need to look at our life as a gift. If we don't take our life as a most precious gift that was ever given to us, of course, self-care will be either selfish either somewhere far on the shelf, either taken from time to time as an occasional reward. But self-care is never a selfish act because it's a good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift that I was given to offer others, actually. And it was written by Parker Palmer. So this is something that I think we need to start with if we want to go further. Before we're talking about tips and tricks and life hacks, you know, how to take care of yourself, how to boost yourself, how to boost your vitality, we need to start with the basis. And usually it requires to go, to go deeper, right? Not on the surface. So that's why I teach about self-care as a holistic approach of self-care. So you look at the person as a whole, but also holistic approach to me is to, to work on these misconceptions that we have about self-care. Let's look at a, a few more of these. So I hear, it's, it's really taken you know, from the examples of talking with people of myself. Uh, I think sometimes we look at self-care as a luxury. So self-care, it's something we go, we, we women, let's be honest, we enjoy nice procedures. So we talk about self-care and association may come not just about bubble bath. I actually, honestly, I love hot bath, but you know, it's also up to the taste. But we think sometimes self-care has to be something 
very expensive, something very rare, uh, and it's, you know, it's only for some people, you know, this, this rich women that go to a super, super expensive spa. And then, then we, we kind of, we know, we, we say, it's not for me. Already our mindset is not there. We say, yeah, self-care is not for me because it's a luxury. Then sometimes we look at self-care as a reward. And that's, honestly, that's classics. So I have worked so hard. I'm taking the weekend with my girlfriends. And we're going to go to the spa. Because why? I have worked so hard. And, it, it, you know, there is a place to everything. And I think it's fine. It's normal to do something very special as a reward. But if self-care is, is seen only like this, then what do we do? How do we go through the everyday life? You know, how we actually go through this difficult process of achieving something or reaching our goal or working hard because it's a season of life like this. Where is their self-care? Or it only comes as a final destination, you know? And then we have this amazing day out and we've relaxed and we condensed all, all this self-care in one day and we think we're better where in truth we're staying probably tired and still need much more time to recuperate and to recharge ourselves. So self-care is something occasional, like I have worked so hard lately, I deserve a moment of self-care, which I, I don't want to also put it as a something very negative because there is a place to it, as I said. But if it's the only way we see self-care, it will not work. Self-care is an escape. So I need to escape from my reality and deal with my issues somewhere outside of my world. You know, I think sometimes when we go out in, in, in the retreat, and I practice that in my life, uh, for example, with this burnout that I had, I, I had to go away and I went to an amazing place called Teze. It's a, 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 a communal uh, big uh, community in, in France. And I had my, my time, my three days of, of just quietness and prayer and recharging myself and rethinking my life, those moments are also needed. But self-care as an escape from real issues that don't work in your life will not take you far. If it's, again, only occasional and only, you know, you feel like you need to escape from the world, to be alone, to really get out of someone, it might be a sign that you are on the on the edge of a burnout, yes, that might be a sign and you should take it seriously. But please remember that if you're coming back to the same issues that are repetitive, if you're coming back to, again, lacking sleep constantly, if you're coming back, I'm just talking about, you know, pillars of health, right? Sleep, diet, exercise, that's the basics, that's essentials. If you're coming back to the same problems, retreat will not fix it. Retreat is an addition to the practice of recharging and being alone and thinking through your life is a great practice. But if you take self-care and you see that as an escape in which, whichever form we are talking about, that will not work long term. And another one, self-care, is another should. And here, why I've put this one? You know, when I talk to new moms and they tell me, you know, I am... Sorry, I'm just fed up with this message of self-care because I have so much on my list and I feel like people who remind me, you need to take care of yourself, go do this. And I feel like, oh, I need to put it on my list. One more thing to do when I'm already overwhelmed. 
So, and it, it actually does the opposite, right? Self-care is not serving this mom who is already exhausted, but puts her under the pressure of doing something else. If we see self-care as another should, it will not work simply because we will be opposing it. You know, it's, we, we're in defense mode right away when something is so, you know, put onto us as a should. But instead, seeing self-care as a friend, seeing self-care as something that is serving you and those you love, actually. Because, as, you know, as my mentor reminded me really well as I was going through this hard time, he said, you know, Anna, remember, if you are doing well, everybody is winning. If you are not doing well, everybody is losing. Everybody, meaning people around me. In the first place is my precious family, others who I'm trying to serve. Who will benefit if I am not doing well? Nobody. So that's back to self-care, not being selfish. But please think through this. And I uh, split them into very clear you know, misconceptions. I would not call them myths because they're not really myths. You know, we leave those type of things. We, we really see self-care sometimes really as one of them or all of them. So it's more a misconception or something that we have in our mind and that we imagined it to be that way. We, we've somehow bought into these messages and then it's a blockage to really practice self-care, which is true self-care. But as I said, we, <clears throat> if we buy into it, if I can say, also this, everything that is marketing and commercialized definition of self-care, you know, when, when we hear self-care, it's often like feel good, always feel good. It's a feel-good advice. You know, if you don't like this relationship, just leave it. Drop it. If you don't like your work, go from that work. You know, all these big uh, messages, like you see on, or even on, on in internet, just, just feel good, you know? Do it for yourself. Drop everything that is uncomfortable. Wrong self-care can be very, very uneasy on the spot, in the moment, but can pay off later, and I will talk about it. So self-care is not a feel-good advice, always feel good, especially. Or another message that we can get is, you need to just, you know, you need to get into your own little bubble and be with yourself and get, you know, all about yourself, get inside. I'm for self-reflection, big time, believe me, for self-knowledge, for building healthy relationship with your own self. Because I'm born with myself, I will die with myself, I constantly have to face myself in the mirror every morning. It's super important. But when there is this, like, just get outside of this world, you know, you need your own bubble and and people give up on, you know, on social events because they need and go and take care of themselves. I'm like, what? <laughs> Probably you don't have enough self-care that you're dropping on social events or I, you know, I'm not going this time. No, I'm not doing this because I need to go and take, take care of myself. It's a choice and I respect that actually. It's, of course, I'm, I'm generalizing a bit, but you know, this message about withdrawing from the world then if we are 
Seeing self-care like this, we will overlook four forms of self-care that are actually nourishing, helpful, and life-changing. And I believe that the proper and holistic approach to self-care can be a life-changing practice. But to stress even more on all of that that I'm saying, as we, as we lay in a good foundation by breaking these misconceptions of self-care, hopefully, I also want to emphasize what happens when we don't take care of ourselves on a regular basis. Like, we need to understand the consequence before we understand the importance. And I've shared from my own experience, okay, it leads to burnout, it leads to exhaustion, and we think, well, okay, it happens. But really, on an everyday life, I'm sure that each one of you as you interact with other people, you know if you haven't slept or if you haven't been just in a good shape for a few days, how much energy do you have to interact with others, to give, to play with your child? I know how much less I'm enjoying, just enjoying the company of my little one when I'm tired, when I'm under stress, when I keep thinking about something heavy, when I had a you know, undealt situation and still hanging over me. What's happening inside? I can still pull myself together and visually be, be there, but I'm not really present. So what uh, absence of self-care leads to? You, first of all, feel like having less and less energy. And you know, we are human beings. We are a resource of energy. This room is full of energy today. And it's a good energy. It's wonderful energy. We've been created this way, that we carry an energy. And we say, oh, you know, we, 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 it's a fun phrase now, good vibes only. You know, what are vibes? It's, it's someone, something that we bring, someone that brings something or something that we bring with ourselves. It's our level of energy. And energy is something that we need to preserve or feel or, or take care of. It's this resource. And it's like your battery. Do you charge your iPhones? Do you charge your iPhones, friends? It's not selfish, no? No? Okay. I'm just making sure. Or maybe, maybe, maybe if, you, if you put the gas in your tank of your car, is it, maybe it's selfish when you see it's going down. I mean, it's ridiculous. I know it sounds funny, you know, and almost a bit naive to bring these examples, but I think a wise driver, as soon as he sees that the, he's running out of gas, he will go to a station to refill his car, right? Other, otherwise, what? He'll break down in the middle of the road. So you will feel like having less and less motivation or energy to explore and enjoy life. Yeah, we're talking not just surviving, we're talking about exploring, enjoying our life to build meaningful relationships, caring for those you love, with, which will lead to constant frustration, resentment, exhaustion, and even anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression, unfortunately, are so common, becoming more and more common with every passing day. And unfortunately, if those states, as a clinical state, there are, there are other problems and roots to it, but unfortunately, Something that could be managed by a person themselves, which is a proper self-care, is not taken into consideration. 
So if I'm right, I can switch into a little discussion right now. Is it a good time? I think it's a good time because with everything we've heard, I think maybe it's a good moment for us to look now at our own life. I can present here my story. I come with the stories of my clients, of course. So I have this solid, let's say, backup of other stories, but you have your own stories and you have your own view on, on self-care, not just as a, as a term. Term can be, you know, uh, yeah, misused, as we said, but what is your view on self-care? And now in your uh, groups uh, of your tables, uh, I think there will be a facilitator, uh, facilitator helping you with this. You will have two questions to talk about. Please think uh, about your own life. Be honest, you know, first of all, that's part of healthy relationship with yourself is when we're able to be honest with ourselves and then with others, but first to ourselves and ask yourself these two questions. What is my own misconception, misconceptions about self-care and how I can reframe it? Hopefully some thoughts today were helpful about how to look at self-care differently. And the second question, when I don't take enough time to recharge, rest, and take care of myself, what are the consequences that follow? Maybe you've been through a difficult season and you know that now you remember and you think, I could have taken more care of myself. I could, you know, say no to some things or, or no to somebody and go to rest or set some healthy boundaries in a toxic relationship, which is another big part of a true self-care. So think about those questions and we'll come back to more answers later. Okay. So, ladies, I hope you had a good break discussion, uh, more snacks. And let's get back to our tables. Let's dive in into the answer. <laughs> the answer to a question that we're posing today, because we had quite an introduction. Now I hope you're impatient to get some recipe. So... <clears throat> I've heard some here and there. I heard some uh, some of your discussion and uh, around my table. And as I said before, I can add to the list of not misconceptions, but just uh, your also experiences. And it depends so much on our personality, right? Also, how we take that on our life experience. It depends on so many things. I. One lady said, well, it's just self-care. It's not for me. I'm tough enough, right? I'm strong. I don't need the self-care, for example. So it's something, again, to look deeper. Okay, am I, am I ready to admit I have limits and I also am a human being and I do need to take care of myself or the guilt behind self-care, which I will talk about more. But um, so what is... Self-care, really, what is self-care? Until we find maybe a good replacement of the term, we use self-care, but we've cleaned our way all the misconceptions, maybe not all of them, but most of them, I hope, and now we can dive deep into what is really self-care. What I suggest today is to look at self-care, first and foremost, 
is owning and respecting the fact that you have needs and desires and wishes and dreams and so on. It is your responsibility to make sure those needs are met through tangible action steps that work for you. So self-care, it's first to realize, to tell yourself, <laughs> to accept the fact that you are a person, you're a human being with needs, desires, dreams, that's something that is a part of you, and there is actually no one that has to take care of that. We can have people around us who love us and who care for us, who will remind us to take care of ourselves. We can know about these things, but for me, and I cannot stress enough on this, honestly, it's about owning this fact and taking responsibility for that. And that, uh, with that said, I don't want to make it so heavy. So again, it feels like it's another should or it's another, oh, I'm responsible. And if I'm not responsible, I'm guilty. And we come to a dead end with this. No, but taking ownership, you know, taking responsibility for our life, because hopefully back to where I started, we see it as a great gift. That's what we can do. That's where our part is. So self-care is, is, for me, is a practice, ongoing, hopefully, ongoing process where I know I have needs, I have desires, and they belong to me. Nobody is responsible for, for them, but also nobody is responsible to how they are met. Again, I can get help and I need help. It's, it's always admitting that we need others. It's not about you know, I'm self-sufficient, but owning and respecting and taking responsibility. To unpack it more, to give you more, not just definitions, but what I've, I've put, I, I've, I, <laughs> I've condensed, but I've tried to unpack it as much as I can also as I worked through this understanding of self-care so I can bring it to others. Self-care is when you build patterns behaviors, practices that will help you keep your energy, attention, and emotional resources at productive levels. So you can care for those you love to accomplish your professional and personal roles without being burned out. So you build these patterns, behaviors, habits. It's, it's like a task you have for you, for your life, to maintain this life, to maintain this vitality. And, uh, you know, I remember I was sitting in my office and dwelling on the topic <laughs> and creating. I love to get in the mode of creation and uh, writing something on my computer, uh, creating materials for the course. And I clearly remember having this image of a garden. And I, I love to walk into a garden, you know, all, all is green, the birds usually are singing, but in the garden usually we have all different kinds of plants. There could be bushes, there can be trees, can be flowers, there is grass, there's all kinds of different plants in the garden. But we look at it first of all as, a, as something whole, it's a garden, right? And all these plants there need different type of care. You know, somewhere they need more water, somewhere usually they all need light, but some need 
maybe less light. Some don't need so much water. You need to pull the weeds to keep them, you know, fresh and, and relieved from all the weeds. You need to dig the, the soil. You need to do so many things to take care of your plants, but they're all different. At the same time, you, you look at it as onto your one big garden. The person is this one big garden. It's a, it's a whole person. It's, it's not only about eating well, because this person also has emotions. And if, if you eat well, but you're in, in a toxic relationship where you experience you know, negative things and it impacts you and you don't feel worthy, it's as much as important to take care of that part of your life. And this is also very deep self-care if you take care of your emotional world, inside world, as much as you take care of your physical body, of course. So my uh, um, picture that I would like to leave with you is like, you look at your life, you look at yourself as a garden. And you as a person have all these different areas of your life where you have to take care of yourself. And that's what I mean when I say holistic approach to self-care. We don't talk only about essentials as I call them. You know, three pillars, if you talk to probably a doctor will confirm that if you talk to, uh, to a doctor about main three pillars, like basics, it's what, it's diet, you eat healthy, you, eat, you, you nourish your body, you sleep well, and you exercise, you move your body. But this is, goes so much beyond that. And I unfortunately know so many people who take care of one area, and that shows in their physical state or in their appearance. And I knew one lady, and it was someone close to me. It is someone close to me. I uh, just, I've been watching her, her life for a while and, you know, she looks perfect. Uh, literally, she looks beautiful and she takes good care of, of the way she looks, but she struggles constantly with perfectionism. And uh, she is recovering and uh, she's had a lot of trauma in her childhood, which brought her to this mode where she's thriving and she always has to prove herself. And her self-care practice is, uh, is based on something that is painful and something that is, she's dealing with it now, so I cannot say undealt, but it's in the process of getting inner healing of her inner world. So holistic approach to self-care is something that we need to look at as a practice where we take care of our life and it's far from being or feeling only good because holistic approach to self-care can feel very uneasy. So as I bring you this example of the garden and uh, to leave yourself with this you know, image, I also want to say that taking care of yourself means to take care of your physical body, of course, as I said, but it also means to take care of your mental state, your emotional health, your spirit, your social life. It's all of it. It's your life. And the holistic approach to self-care is an understanding that taking care of yourself will also include what you think about yourself or what you believe about yourself and the world around you. 
how you act, how you make decisions, and how you relate to others. So it's actually all is self-care. <laughs> True self-care means deliberately taking time to take care of your inner self as much as your outer self. And that's where it requires some deep work. That's where I think where we get a little bit uncomfortable at times. Because, uh, for example, a topic of personal boundaries, how we're able to set limits in our life, in relationships, you know, whether it's in professional relationship, mostly it's in our everyday relationships, it's, it gets uncomfortable. Because people have to face some truth, what, again, they believe about themselves, whether they feel guilty if they have to say no. But that's self-care. That's real self-care. When you go into something that may challenge you and you want to find answers and you face the challenge in order to live better. So uh, to break one of the misconceptions that we mentioned before is that self-care is easy and self-care is something that we want to do for us to please ourselves. No, <laughs> no, no, no. And, uh, and I want to um, tell you here that um, as we talk about holistic approach, in psychology field, field we, we have a um, model which is called biosocial psychological model, where we look at the person as a whole. And uh, to me, as a believer, I believe we're spiritual beings. I believe there is a spirit in us. And I believe, back to my message, that life is a gift. I believe there is someone who gives this gift to us. There is God, there is a creator who created this whole idea of life and uh, gave it as a gift. And there is nothing I could do to deserve it. So if I, if I come with this starting point, I actually go much deeper into self-care because then I look at, at my life as a gift and then I start, it's also a process, but I start to believe I'm worthy of self-care. And what I have realized, especially recently since I've shared my story, uh, and I, I've constantly now been dealing with, with um, trauma, you know, and that's another topic I teach, and it's honestly a much, much less exciting topic. But they're so connected, because people who are traumatized, or people who've been so much in pain in their life, they usually, to start with, we need to start that they are worthy of self-care. I need to start with the truth that will change everything, actually, that I'm worthy. But why am I worthy? Why? Why I can tell it to myself and start believing it and, and, and actually change the narrative? Because if, if I've been raised in a family where I didn't feel worthy, if I've been treated in a relationship where I didn't feel worthy, it's very hard. So this I find to be a tipping point. And uh, before giving you, again, just tips and, and practical things, you know, we need to look deeper. It's, it's something that will, will open up for the rest. It's us believing that we are worthy of self-care. And for me personally, I believe I'm, wor I'm worthy. My life is worthy. My life is a gift because I've been given it by grace. And this is amazing. And I believe in, an, in a wonderful creator who who could 
who could come up with this idea. So I better treasure this gift. But it's something very personal. I'm going to talk about, about it. You know, that's why I'm not putting uh, these lines of just taking care of your body, then taking care of your soul, then taking care of your spirit in one line. Because we need, there is something bigger to it. There is a foundation to look at our life with the right eyes and, and asking ourselves some existential, as we call it, questions, some tough questions. And I'm going to mention this again, that self-care is really asking ourselves some difficult questions and finding some life-giving answers to those questions. But let me break down my formula or my, let's say, my creation was to create the three pillars, I believe, that self-care, that is true self-care, real self-care for us, sits on. And I came up with, a, to make it, you know, memorable, I came up with three A pillars, and they are called awareness, assertiveness, and alignment. So if we don't know about ourselves, uh, and I think we all, it's an it's a ongoing process in life to get to know ourselves better, but again, it's about relationship with our own selves, knowing ourselves better, it's about awareness. And I, I worked with one lady, I remember, she was around 30-something years old, and she said, wow, I've been in, in therapy, and you know, we looked at my childhood and some difficult stuff and where I would need healing. But you know what, Anna, I think I'm just, I'm just in the season of my life where I, I begin to get to know myself, she told me. And that, that had so much weight and so much value, what she said. And I, so this is so true. We sometimes don't know. So to start with, you know, how well do you know yourself? How well you are aware of yourself? If I ask you right now, close your eyes and be very intuitive and don't think too far, what do you need right now? And of course, if you have the answer to the question, what do you need, you can take steps of self-care, right, to meet those needs. But some people struggle to answer this question. So real self-care starts with self-knowledge, at least desire to know your person better and to be aware. What have shaped you until now? What are those life experiences? What, what are these events of life? And that, what is the worldview that you've been raised with? All of this have shaped you to this day. And that has an impact how you carry on in life. What do you want to achieve? What are your desires? All of this. It's a universe. Self-awareness and self-knowledge. And I think self-awareness is a skill to learn, is a skill to, to develop. And I think it's precious when people want to be self-aware, you know? When they, when they ask themselves, I react in a certain way. Why, every, why do I react like this, right? Why am I thinking this? Why I wake up with this constant thought that is repetitive in my mind? Why? What's beneath it? So awareness, then assertiveness, uh, as I call it. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit, it may sound a bit tough, but it's, you know, it's saying yes or no to yourself and then to others when, when it's needed because nobody will do it for you. I'm sorry, nobody will, will do it instead of you. Again, we can have people supporting us, but nobody will say, I'm stepping out of this relationship that is diminishing my worth or that is toxic 
or where the worst they experience violence, for example, I am saying no to this, or I am saying no because I realize now I have limits because I'm more self-aware, and I'm, I'm saying no to this opportunity, even if it's attractive opportunity. I am standing for myself. I'm protecting my energy. I am taking this responsibility. It's assertiveness. There is no arrogance in this. It's assertiveness. It's being assertive of what you need and how you want to, first of all, meet this need and how you want to protect it. And then alignment. And this is a big one. Why this is a big one? Because I think another, I could, I could have added it to the list of misconceptions. Another misconception or a blockage to a real self-care is thinking that somebody else's formula of self-care will work for you. It's when you repeat somebody else's recipe. It's when you go running in the morning where running is not your thing, but because everybody is doing and you have to stay fit, you put your sneakers on because, <laughs> because come on, it's a trend. It's what I need to do. Where your thing is probably doing light stretching or going to your pool or somewhere somewhere and somehow to move your body but in a different way whether it's trendy or not you have your own way to respond to your need but repeating somebody else's formula will only leave you frustrated and will bring you to a trap and that's why alignment is so important and that's why it starts again back to number one Pillar is awareness and knowing yourself well, then standing for yourself for these needs and desires, and then aligning them. And also what is very important is that you are aware of a season of life you're in. If you're a new mom and you inevitably face sleepless nights, you know, I will not preach onto you about how important it is to get eight hours of sleep because you know it well, it's just not possible. I'm sorry. So you are aware and you are sober when you talk about self-care to yourself and you are building these patterns. Hopefully after this meeting, you will think of it and you think, no, but what is the season of my life? And when I was in my burnout once, then I was in my burnout again and I was like, I don't want to get there third time, but I want to keep helping. The war haven't stopped. I'm I'm being a mom, I want to do my profession well and still be on events like this to speak. How do I do that? And I realize that I, I need more breaks. And I'm sitting with my therapist and I'm saying, I feel so bad because I take breaks like regularly, too often. And I still, I still, you know, I'm barely arriving. I'm doing better, yes, but I'm on the limit. And she said, maybe your season of life is three times more than usual. So don't be surprised that you need more breaks. Face the season of life you're in and may it be in alignment of what you want to build as a proper and true self-care to you. So again, get to know yourself better. Build self-awareness. Dive into, deeper into yourself, not to become self-observed, <laughs> but become more self-aware. Know your needs, where are you heading in this life, what you dream of, where, what is your current state. Then move on to protecting that in the way that is healthy 
and respectful, but only you can create the plan for your self-care. And be mindful that it has to align, be in, in alignment with the season of life you are in. So I call those holistic self-care basics. And even though I could unpack with you for at least half an hour on each of them, <laughs> I won't be able to do it. So this is a summary. This slide, you know, can be a, a screenshot if you want. Just I know we know about these things and we talk about them. But honestly, few of them for sure deserve a workshop. Let's say, you know, set healthy boundaries. Oh, but how <laughs> and why and so on. So I've put them together for you as a little, you know, combination of what am I talking here? But of course, you know, eating healthy and uh, nourishing food and taking care of our body and what we eat, what we get inside is very important. We know about it, how much we give attention to it. That's a question to only ourselves. We need to exercise regularly. And here I want to point out that, uh, you know, when we now in psychology field, when we talk about a lot of depression and there are more and more studies being done around depression issues, anxiety issues, it's, it's such a clear link that now neuroscience sees, you know, and psychologists sees in how our body feels and what it produces and how movement of your body how literally just movement of your body in whatever form it comes really impacts the way you feel mentally. I won't go into details, but if you find a way to move your body, it doesn't have to be, again, somebody, somebody else's recipe for fitness. It has to be a way to move your body so your body feels alive and your muscles are trained so you stay healthy. Believe me that 20 minute walk will do its work. But sometimes I think knowing the, uh, how to say knowing in theory, those things or hearing them a lot, we, if we don't do them enough, we feel guilty. And that can be another blockage where instead we just should take ownership. Okay. Have I moved my body today? You know, and how I can do even with the, with the work, I don't know, at the desk, I can stand up and stretch and so on. But again, not into a fitness details, but I just want to encourage you to move your body. There's life in the movement. Then of course you, you better prioritize sleep because I've listened to one of these talks uh, also by uh, neuroscience, uh, few neuroscience, I think they were interviewed and they talked about sleep and they said, if we see the three pillars that are classical about your diet, about your movement or exercise for your body and the sleep, they're in one line. And he said, now the more studies are done, we see that there is a fundamental, there is like one pillar, let's say we put it in the middle, is your quality, sufficient sleep and the rest follows. Why? Because the way you sleep and how much sleep you are getting, what's the quality of the sleep will impact your diet. We know that appetite is impacted by, by the level of your tiredness and level of your tiredness, of course, is linked to how much you slept. So prioritize sleep, do everything you can and tips and tricks, and I don't want to sound boring, but you know, when, when you hear no screens before bed, yes, <laughs> it does impact your sleep. We, we know these things, right? It's a matter of doing them. So 
Invest in meaningful relationships. And I think you are here because you want to build relationships. And the, the power of relationships is, I think, it's recognized but still undervalued because our emotional world, our, our healthy emotional state depends so much on our relationships. And what's the quality of this relationship? How much we're intentional, intentional in build meaningful relationships? Again, another, another big topic to, to unpack. Listen to your emotions. This is very important. Emotions are signals. Emotions bring their messengers. See them as friends. And I would encourage you, again, I would go deeper into this, but please don't, don't see them as negative and positive. Emotions are emotions. They're given to us by a creator, as I believe. And those are ama amazing messengers that bring you some information. And there are strong emotions, let's say anger, of course, but anger signalizes about something. Probably there is a fear of losing control, for example. It's one of the strongest emotions, right, in, in our world. But please be attentive to your emotions. Don't suppress them. Instead, listen to them. And I know it's a skill. It's easier said than done, just like that. It's easy for me to encourage you, but Please be attentive to your emotions. They are telling you something. They're a signal to something that is happening inside of you. Set healthy boundaries, whether it's boundaries in your relationship, whether it's boundaries in your professional roles. You know, boundaries for me in professional roles, for example, is switching off your work phone, unless it's a requirement, a commitment at your work, you know, for your dinner time, for example. Uh, when, when you're in volunteer work, which is my case a lot now, it's so hard to set boundaries. <laughs> I have to admit and tell you very honestly, it's been the hardest for me recently to set boundaries, to switch off my phone and say I'm not available, I'm sorry, I'm... I'm and I remember I had to have accountability, which it can be your partner, it can be somebody else, but my husband was, was witnessing me switching off my phone at seven o'clock in the evening, so I can survive and start my day and not receive this flood of messages that I feel, you know, bring me anxiety and that I have to respond. Just to give you an example. But boundaries are crucial for your emotional health. Boundaries are crucial for your levels of energy. Take time to pause and reflect. Whether you're an introvert, extrovert, I mean, we're all different personalities, but it's all about the point of getting to know yourself better, being more self-aware. Okay, maybe it's just me, maybe I've learned, maybe I try again to walk my own talk, but I cannot go far and long without journaling. If I don't sit with my journal and just write down what I feel, how I feel, it doesn't have to be any summary or any deep analysis. I just have to let out what I'm feeling inside to, to the paper. And uh, it's so important. And you, again, that's, that might be my recipe that doesn't work for you. Maybe you don't like journaling. But if you find time in the day to pause and reflect, whether it's 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 20 minutes, if you can afford it, it will do you so good. Because, you know, the stories of grandmas and wise people or somebody interviewing this old babushka, 90 years old, and she says, you know, if you can sit for 20 minutes a day and do nothing, do that, my child. 
You know, and you think, what is it? But it's very true. Just be present. Be present in the moment and just sit there. You know, ask yourself, are you able to be with yourself, quiet and peaceful when there is no entertainment? Or do you need, you know, some music playing or TV working or you get anxious? And I know my clients who, uh, who battle with anxiety, they come and they say, I cannot sit still. I become so anxious, it's unbearable. You know, it's, it's again, might be another route to the anxiety, but if we are not taking time to be quiet and present and just reflect what's happening in our life, again, this is not really a self-care. And then the last one is a broad one. And that's what I mentioned before. You know, we need to ask ourselves tough questions in life. We need to ask questions that sometimes we prefer to avoid the questions that don't make us feel comfortable, but uncomfortable. But I believe in those tough questions, there are life-giving answers. If we are able to see them as a resource for us, and if we are able to sit with ourselves and ask ourselves, what are our beliefs about ourselves, about the world, about our existence, where are we heading, because when we are faced with so much tragedy, and I've started with stress, but I think what's happening in the world around us today, it becomes so unbearable. It's, it becomes sometimes so inhuman that we question so many big questions, right? And I think if we are narrowing this to our world and to our, our um, inner self, we are able to find some answers. We are able, if we are able to, to listen really well to ourselves. So ask yourself some tough questions, challenging questions, because they will have life-giving answers in them. Um, no, I went too far. Uh, so how to maintain vitality among all the tragedies and stressors of life and trauma of life. Well, I believe that if we practice holistic, so holistic self-care, we can build resilience, really, if it's an ongoing process. Toward inevitable challenges and stressors of life, if you will take steps to care for your whole person, you will be better equipped to avoid burnout and live your life as your best self. And again, I want to emphasize on the three pillars. If this is something you can start with, and then you, let's say you create a plan, or you create an idea, I encourage you to do very, very small steps in the beginning. Because all of this as a topic, all of this as a great formula, you know, three pillars can be so overwhelming at the start. But it's with with small steps, with baby steps, and we know that small steps can bring big results. Start with something small. And uh, as our time is running out, <laughs> so just main takeaways and main points, just please in reality believe that if you take good care of yourself, like really, you will be able to take care of others but not out of obligation, you know, because we worship so much those who are altruistic person, you know, they lay down their life for others. It's all very good, but what at the core of it? What is the root? 
Is it a need to be helpful and needed? Does it come from the outflow? Is your cup full so you can pour into others? Believe me, taking care of yourself on every day will help you to maintain yourself in the best shape possible to give to others. So do take care of yourself. Find the things that make you feel better in life. Learn to rest from the busyness of life and the demands of others. Because demands will never stop, right? The need will never stop. Do more things that make you feel alive and more settled into who you really are. So why self-care? What about self-care? Well, why? If you, if you don't remember or you will be confused what you heard, self-care because your life is a gift. Self-care because you are worthy. Self-care because this world needs you and needs you in your best shape. So I'm very thankful that I had a, this joy of sharing with you. I hope it was helpful. And uh, I love to stay in touch. I'm very active on my Instagram account that is all committed to self-care and the right understanding of self-care. You can follow me there if you use that platform or you can send, uh, it's probably not so visible, you can send me an email. Um, I do create lots of programs or events on the topic. They're in a physical presence. They're based in Lausanne. But we can stay in touch and I would be more than happy to answer your questions. So thank you very much, ladies. It's been a pleasure and a joy to share with you.